you take your seats. As you take your seats, I want you to hold on to one message for me. I need you to hold on to one message. It doesn't make sense just yet, but it will. I need you to hold on to these words right here. When Jesus stood next to Paul, he said, we are going to Rome. Hold on to that because it'll make sense in our discussion as we share our time together. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Maurice. Welcome. So glad to see all of you. I am the associate teaching pastor here. I have the awesome opportunity of speaking in multiple venues from college, middle school, uh, young adults, all sorts of stuff. Uh, so much so that this fall, actually, my role is expanding uh, to starting and getting momentum going in the young adults ministry. And so young adults, whether you have kids or don't have kids, we need you to be a part of what God is doing here with young adults. I mean, we're having young adults couple Bible studies, retreat. Sometimes you're going to have people come in and experts in their field when it comes to finances and money management and starting a business, all sorts of stuff that we need to make it to the next stage in life. So if you're a young adult, email me or I'm coming after you, all right? I'm going to make sure I get a chance to get a hold of you because we're starting something really awesome here uh, with young adults. Uh, before I get started, if you are new here, welcome. I just want to take some time out to say thank you for joining us. Uh, you came here, and we know that sometimes it can be a little intimidating, uh, bringing your family, coming here for the very first time, or even for the very first few times, and uh, you trusted us this morning. We do not take that lightly. I mean, you walk into a place for the very first time, you don't know how to dress, you don't know what to do, you don't know exactly all the expectations, but you trusted us, and we take that really seriously. Not only that, for every single person here, you have given us your time. That is one of your greatest resources, and we believe in stewarding your time really well. So thank you for joining us. With that said, I have about three hours of a message for y'all, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Check this out. Listen, we've been in a message called When God Interrupts, and this has been such a blessing to me. Uh, my uh, old pastor used to tell me, before you get up and speak, let the message hit to your household first. Let it hit your heart first. And I, it's just been a blessing to get up to preach to you guys, but while preaching to me as well. And so I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been something that you can take with you into real life. Not only that, I want to take a moment to say thank you guys. I know I'm saying thank you a lot, but thank you. Because this journey to be able to create an entire series and to be able to think through the messages and think through the worship, the things that we're going to sing, I got a chance to be the director over all that. And this is my very first series that I've done. And uh, last week, a woman came up to me and she said, the thing that I love most about all that you're doing is I get to watch you grow. In my heart, that just made my entire year because I get a chance to grow in the gift that God has given me, and you guys are on that journey as well. So thank you guys for all that you're doing. Bill and Jim, if you're out there, I want to let you guys know thank you as well. There are 28-year-olds with giftings all over the world desiring an opportunity, and sometimes they don't get that opportunity, and I get a chance to live into the opportunity that God has given me. So I want to thank all of you, including Bill and Jim. It has been a blessing to be able to do this last series. This is our last and final week. Let's go out with a bang, all right? Let's do this. Let's get ready to work. Let's get ready to preach. Okay, so check this out. We've been in this series, and we've been exploring this idea of God interrupting our lives. What does that look like? What does he want us to gain in this? We talked about uh, him interrupting our lives for relationship, him interrupting our lives to retell our story and to gain perspective. And it's so awesome because what we've been learning is that sometimes interruptions come in all sorts of packages. Sometimes the interruption can come in the package of joy and excitement. Sometimes the interruption can come in the package of nervousness, right? You, you're starting something new. It can come in a package of newness. You're starting a new business. You've gotten a new relationship. I see some of y'all getting married these days, starting something new, and it comes in a new package. And sometimes interruption will come in a package that none of us want to open. 
Sometimes interruption will come in a package that we want to return to sender. Sometimes it comes in the package of pain. Sometimes interruption that God has for us will come in the package of hard times, falling on uh, adversity and, and facing tough times. I, I say this all the time that, uh, I say this all the time, sorry, I say this all the time. What do I say all the time? I say this all the time, but it doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, but we all believe in the gospel of hard times. We all believe in the gospel that sometimes things don't go our way. And what is it that God wants to do in those moments? What does he want our response to be in moments like those where we can say, God, where are you? What do you want from me in this moment? Because it's one thing to follow God when things are going well. It's an entirely different thing to put your faith in God when things aren't going so well. And so this morning, I want to talk about how God relates to our stories in the tough times, in the latter moments of our lives. And I believe in this message so much, and I want to preach it so much, that I'm even going to have my wife come up three quarters of the way through to help me talk about our own personal story. Because we don't just talk about it, we've actually lived a life of interruption. So three quarters of the way through, my wife Aisha is going to join me, and we're going to tell a little bit, little bit about how God has interrupted us. But for all you Aisha lovers out there, you're stuck with me for now. So just hold on, okay? I know some of you guys really love her preaching. So you guys got to wait just for that, okay? Here's the place that I want us all to start from. Here's the launching pad, the diving board, if you will. I want us all to start from. The starting line for us all, I want to be this message right here. Jesus stood next to Paul and said, we are going to Rome. Continue to hold on to that. I gotta tell you about Paul first. So hold on, buckle up for about three minutes. Let me give you a backdrop on who Paul is. Paul is this guy whose life, we're gonna look through his lens, his story. We're gonna look at life through his life, okay? So Paul's this guy in the Bible times. He's a man of reputation. He's a man of stature. He's a man who's uh, sitting at the seat and the table of movers and shakers. He's with the decision makers. Paul is a thinker of his time. The philosophers in that day and age respected Paul's words because he was an intellectual. He was one that was wise and he used his words really well. He was one that was just, just one of those people that was just self-righteous as well. He walked around and people knew who he was. He was one that had lots of status, lots of reputation. And on the side of the religious side, he was a radical. I mean, people looked at him as this really radical guy because Paul was the guy who would discriminate against people who were not like him. He's this Jewish man, and if you were not like him, he's like, you don't, I don't, you don't, I'm discriminating against you. You can't follow God the way that I follow God. So much so to the point that he plays a role in some people's deaths and murders. I mean, he's a radical religious guy who's going on a rant all the time of just people who don't follow the way that I follow. I'm going out. I'm going for them. So he's this religious radical guy, but Jesus had a plan for Paul. Right now, I want to take a pause break just real quick. I just want to let you know that some people in this room right now, you think you're too far from God. You think your story is probably too radical for God. Maybe you're in this room and you think maybe the things that I've done, the things that I've gone through, the things that I face in life, no way that God will love me. Let me tell you something, that if the interruption from God has not already come, it's on its way. And so what I love about G uh, Paul's story is that he's radical, but Jesus gets just as radical when he interrupts Paul's life. You got to read it for yourself, but for the short time that I have together, what he does, Jesus is in the, 
in heaven. Paul is walking down the street, minding his own business. Jesus breaks open the sky, parts the heaven, puts a beaming light from heaven. I mean, this like shining light tackles him to the ground like Von Miller. I mean, it's just beaming light. Paul's walking, doing his own thing, and it's like this optic blast all the way from heaven knocks Paul to the ground. Paul is like, who is this? He's blinded. He doesn't know who this is. He's trying to figure it out. Jesus has his attention finally. He's interrupted his life. He tells him who he is, and he tells him that he loves him. And Paul's like, all right, if you're going to do all that, you know what I've been through, and you still love me, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put my faith in you. you. Let's just leave the tackling to the football players. I'm going to do this. I'm going to chase after you. So Paul is one who starts following after God. But the interesting story about Paul is that the moment he decides to follow after God, everything comes crumbling down. His reputation is destroyed. They start to think of Paul once as a a philosopher and a thinker. Now they think he's insane because he's walking around. He's telling people about Jesus. He's planting churches. He's talking about God's love, and they're trying to silence him. They're starting to beat him up. I mean, mobs of people have kicked Paul out of the city, stoned him. He has faced death so many times. And Paul is the type of person that gets back up, dust himself off, and go right back into the same city that just kicked him out. Go right back to the people that just stoned him and told him, and and, and he tells them about God's love. He's one that continues to persevere until we get to chapter 23. And Paul has faced all these things in life. His reputation is destroyed. People think that he's insane, but he's continuing to move forward in life. And in chapter 23, Paul has seen death before, but it's these moments that he begins to think, I'm not making it out of this. He's in prison. He's in shackles right now. And he's thinking to himself, there's no way that I'm making it out of this. I can sense an execution coming. And it's in this moment that Paul, I mean, that Jesus steps in and comes in when Paul is in prison, in chains, and says, we are going to Rome. But that's actually not where I want to have our conversation today. Chapter 23 is not where I want to have the conversation this morning. This morning, I want our conversation to be in chapter 27. Because it's in chapter 27 that Paul is on his way to Rome. And Rome is the place that Paul has longed for. Rome is the place that he has always wanted to go. He's in chains and he's wondering, I'll never make it. That's when Jesus comes in and says, no, we are going to make it. But Paul is like, I got to get to Rome. I got to get to Rome. And we all have Rome. You know Rome. Rome is that place that brings us joy. Rome is that place that gives us a smile. Rome is a place that gives us fulfillment. It could be saving up for a car. Rome could be the good grades that you want. Rome could be the new marriage. Rome could be having children. Rome could be anything. We all have a Rome, that thing that we long for, that thing that we know will give us joy and fulfillment, that brings us a smile. Rome is that thing that when we cross the finish line, we have an accomplishment. We all have a Rome, and Paul is longing to get to Rome. But on his way to Rome, in the middle of a sea, the Bible says this storm comes. Isn't it interesting how he's in between two places. He's not where he once was, but he's not where he wants to be. And it's in that moment that a storm comes. 
He's in between the place where he wants to be and the place that he wants left. And he's at the bottom of a ship in chains. And he's thinking to himself, I'm on my way to Rome. I finally can get there. It's not the ideal situation, but I'm on my way to Rome. And it's in this place that an entire storm knocks the ship off. The ship is wrecked. Paul is at the bottom of this ship. And now Rome becomes a lost dream. Rome becomes a distant thought. Rome is no longer on the forefront of his mind because he's thinking to himself, there's no way anyone can survive this. The ship is destroyed, there's no more ship, and he's in the water in this wet, dark place. And this ferocious storm has taken him out and he's being tossed to and fro by the waves, no longer thinking about Rome. And it's in this place that I wanna have a conversation. The Bible says these words right here. It says, the storm blotted out the sun and the stars. Our hope of being rescued grew worse and worse until at last, all hope was gone. Have you ever been in a place in your life where all hope was gone? Like, I, I, I don't think the Bible makes a mistake here in saying all hope was gone. To add insult to injury, the Bible says in a different version, it says that hope gradually began to lessen more and more. And it's one thing to lose hope. It's another thing for hope to gradually go. Gradually indicates that time was there, that he's in the middle of the sea trying to hold on and there goes the stars and his hope meter begins to lessen. He's trying to hold on and then the sun is blotted out and then the hope meter goes down more and more. Maybe you've been there before. You're trying to hold on and it's getting worse and worse. It's been 10 years and your child is still facing this illness. Time has gone by and all hope is lost. I want you to sit here for a moment because I believe some of us know what it's like for all hope to be lost. I'm talking about real Problem. I'm talking about dark times in our lives. There's moments in life that we face where darkness hits and it's cold and no one is around. I'm talking about dark times. I'm talking about when hope is lost. When that spouse takes off the ring and walks out the door never to return again, to not fight for the marriage. I'm talking about all hope being lost. Friends who said they'll be there forever and forever came so soon and they walked out. I'm talking about all hope being lost. The moment that a child, a teenager is in the bathroom upstairs looking at this pregnancy test and it says that they're pregnant and they gotta go walk out this door and face their parents knowing they will not get any support. I'm talking about all hope being lost. When the doctor leaves the room so that you can discuss options of what's coming next with the cancer that you just found out about. I'm talking about dark times. Sometimes I feel like people don't really come to church or don't really believe in God because it seems like a thing of the past. How can God relate to my dark time? I understand when things can go a little easy. Maybe I got a little riff here and a little riff there, but can God relate to my darkest moments? when it feels like I'm held hostage by this addiction and I'll never be able to get rid of it, how does God relate to my dark times? The moments that you're trying, trying, and trying to have a baby, but yet there's more and more rejection, the moment we all have faced of losing hope. 
and all hope is gone. I remember my very first moment of losing all hope, and it felt like my hope had ran dry as an adult. It was the year 2013, and my sister has had a tough time with her pregnancy, but she has a baby. And everybody's excited, and it's this joyous moment that we all get to be a part of. She's holding the baby, and she looks to me, and she says, I want you to be the godfather. It's in that moment that I feel a, a, a sense of joy and excitement, and I look over to my siblings, and I put a little smirk on because she chose me and she didn't choose them. <laughs> it's in that moment that we all are excited. We start talking about what to, uh, what to put the baby in and what we're going to address it, what we're going to do with the life of this baby and the sports that we want this, my niece to play and the, the things that we want my niece to do. And 2014 comes around and it's a few months have passed and it's in the middle of the night that her heart stops beating. And I run upstairs and I'm looking at my sister and my parents alternate from giving my niece CPR. And you've seen CPR before, but when you see CPR on a little baby and you're trying not to press too hard, but you want them to come alive so much and there's panic in my parents' eyes as they're alternating. They bring out the oxygen tank, oxygen tank trying to pump her with oxygen and yet there is no heartbeat. It's in that moment that my hope begins to lessen. My hope tank begins to go down. And I'm the religious figure in my family. I'm the religious person. I'm the pastor guy. I'm the preacher. I'm the one who's gone to seminary and do, done all these things. And all eyes shift to me in this moment. And I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where you're the backbone of your family and they're looking at you for hope and you're trying to give them encouragement and you don't have it yourself. You don't have enough to give, but that's not where my hope was lost. My hope started to really run out it was when we were at the funeral and I'm touching the casket for the very last time. And it's those moments as I step away from this casket and I feel my fingers losing grip of this tiny casket that's holding this tiny body. And it's in the moment that I step away and it's in that moment that I'm at my darkest point. It's that moment that I'm faced with my darkest season of hope running dry. And this is where Paul finds himself. Paul, at the bottom of this ship, in the darkest moment of his life, he's in this middle of this ocean. There is no more Rome. He's just trying to fight to survive. And he's contemplating, how do I still trust a God who's not there? For some reason, it gets worse. Some of you are looking at me like, can it get any worse? Yes, it actually does. And maybe you've been in this place too because not only is Paul in his darkest moment, but the darkest place of his life is met with silence. It's one thing for my life to be in shambles and it's dark. It's another thing for it to be dark and silent. This is where I have the tension from the God that we serve. You choose this moment out of all moments to become silent. In my darkest days, fighting my strongest addiction, trying to make it to my Rome, you choose this moment to become silent. 
Maurice, for three weeks now, you've been telling me about a God that interrupts, a hands-on type of God, the God that'll come in and be there, and yet he chooses the darkest season of my life when I have lost all hope to become silent. What is it in God's response and his reaction does he want us to learn from this? Because it's this side of me, I'm an optimistic person. It's this moment that I want to tell you, Jesus comes walking on the water. The God that we serve is one where he works a miracle. Jesus comes and tells the storm to be quiet, calms the water, tells the sea to shut up, and everything comes to a calm ease. He comes in and holds Paul and says, everything is going to be all right. I want to jump up and tell you that. But yet, that's not Paul's story. And for some of you in this room, that's not your story. And you, just like Paul, are met with wrestling with putting your trust in a silent Savior. The things that we learn from this moment, what is it that God wants our response to be? I know it can't just be throwing the towel. I know it just can't be give up in this moment right now. There has to be something else. What does he want us to learn? And I believe there's two things that we learn from Paul's life in the darkest times of his life, when he's faced with failure, when he's faced with abandonment and no one being there. I'm talking about all hope being lost. There's two things that I believe that we can learn from this. I'm going to say one, and my wife is going to say the other. You can make your way onto the stage, babe. I believe one of the things that God wants us to grasp in this moment of our darkest times is that every single one of us are faced with chapter 27. But what Paul had was a word from God. And I know that's not fancy. I know that's not a deep revelation, but I'm here to tell you this word of God, this thing that we hold on to. Where's the Bible that I had? I got to make this a visual thing. This, 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 this Bible that we have, this thing that we hold on to, it, it lets us know that it is alive and well. It's not just words on pieces of pages. This isn't just a collection of books. This isn't a Harry Potter novel. This is the word of God. And we are all faced with chapter 27s. Chapter 27s will always be there. But the good news is that chapter 23 will always be there as well. The word of God is a thing that sustains us. It's the thing that holds us. It's the thing that will nourish our souls. The word of God, when you don't have nothing else, if he's not speaking in your darkest moment, maybe, just maybe, he's already said enough in his word. The word of God, it is something that we hold to. It is our hope when nothing else is there. The word of God is something that we can lean on in our darkest moments. And sometimes I know that it feels like you read it and it makes sense. Sometimes you read it and it doesn't make sense. I it. I know that. I've been there. But it makes sense in those dark moments where you can lean and you can say, I don't know all the Bible, but somewhere I read that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And you can take that word and you can hold it near to you and you can pray that word. And I'm here to tell you that that word of God, there is a chapter 27, but there is also a chapter 23. It is the same thing that helped Moses get through his darkest moment. It's the same word that helped Abraham get through his darkest moment. It's the same word that helped Job get through his darkest 
season of his life. It's the same word that helped Jesus in the garden when he's facing death get through his darkest moment. We have the word of God. And some of you are looking at me like, I don't know any of the people that you just named, Maurice. I know, I get it. You're looking at me like, who would name their child Job? I don't know. <laughs> but what I am here to tell you is that it worked for them, and by experience, it worked for us. From experience of being in dark seasons, it worked for us as well. And so maybe you don't know who those people are, but I just dare you, I dare you to put your faith in God's word. Although there is a chapter 27, there is also a chapter 23, and we can hold on to it when seasons get rough. We can hold on to it in our darkest moments when we feel that moment of abandonment, when all hope is lost. Maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't, but I'm here to tell you, if you face a chapter 27, there's also a chapter 23. And in our darkest season of me and my wife's life, we had to realize with all that's going on and all the answers that we need, we know that there's something about God's word that we can hold on to. It was about 2016 that we get this call from Colorado. I was doing mine in my own business. We had just got married. How many years were we married, babe? I mean, how many, years, uh, excuse me, how many months? months? Uh, eight months. We were eight months married. We moved to Colorado, excuse me, not yet. We eight months married and we get this call from Colorado. I wasn't searching it out. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't planning on being in Colorado. I didn't even tell her about the first phone call. Shame I got the, on you, I got shame the, on you. I got the first call and it's been everything that I've wanted. It's been the roam of my life. And I'm on that phone, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, this is it, this is it, yes, yes. And I'm there and I didn't even tell her about the first one. We get the second call and it's a Skype interview. And I feel like I did really good. And I told her afterwards, babe, I just had an interview. She's like, what? And it's from Colorado and it's everything that I wanted. And she's just saying, okay, you know, she's trying to be, she gave me like the, I'm trying to be supportive wife answer. Like, oh, okay, that's nice, okay. <laughs> That's good. Like, you know, shaking her head and I kind of tell like, she's trying to be supportive, but that's not, she's not feeling it. And so we're in this season where we're interrupted and my interruption is full of adventure and excitement and your interruption was very different. Definitely. I think it's fascinating that two people can go through the same thing and have two completely different experiences. So Maurice is like, oh, this is gonna be an adventure, and I'm terrified. Just like, you know, Kim was saying earlier that, you know, she's a native. I'm a California native, I love it, I don't mind the traffic, to be honest. And I never had any plans or intentions on leaving. So even just the thought of it, even for college, I went to school an hour and a half away, didn't apply anywhere out of school because it was never a part of my plan. And like Maurice was saying, I wanted to be a supportive spouse, but um, deep down I had a hidden agenda. Deep down, um, we were heading to Colorado to fly yeah. out and to visit, and my mind was set to find every red flag so that I can kind of throw it in my husband's face and let him know that this is not where we're yeah, supposed to be. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we get here, we get off the plane, and the first thing that I see is a hailstorm. Now, that's red flag number one, and they're saying like, oh, that's so random, that never really happens here. And if you've been around this summer, seen a lot of hail. It's so. like the third week of May, and we're like, yeah. okay, all what right. What is this? Yeah. And then we get off the plane. That's like number one. We get off the plane. I didn't even see this. She told me about this. But she, we get off the plane and she sees this sign that says like tornado shelter. 
and like, you know, in case yeah. of emergency. And I'm like, what? And she's like, oh, uh-uh. And I'm That's like, red flag number two. And I'm trying to justify, like, oh, they don't have tornadoes. I've never been to Colorado. I'm like, they don't have those. And she's looking for all the red flags. So two down, all I need is one more because, you know, three strikes and you're out. And, you know, we get here and we get to experience what a Sunday is like. And I remember the couches used to be in the back and I was about five rows from the couches. Um, I remember my exact seat and Bill was preaching and then worship came up and sang the last song. And in the midst of that, I heard God say, this is gonna be your home. And I don't hear God's voice audibly, but it's through prayer. And like Marie said, reading that word that I've grown to a place where I know when he's speaking to me and that wasn't a red flag. That was actually a green flag telling me this is where you're supposed to be. You need to go here. And I did what I'm known for. I talk about it all the time. And I just started ugly crying in the midst of service. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't want, like, a bunch of people to see me. So I'm trying to, like, hide myself and use, like, Maurice to shield me. But it was very hard because all that the, was all not the while, answer. Though, all the while, I'm yeah. just sitting there with a smile. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Trying to, gonna be here. trying yeah. to be a distraction. And I'm trying to like hold on to her, but like, yeah, this is it, this is it. Yeah, and I'm not a quiet Foolish husband, oh my goodness. You a little silly sometimes. Um, so we get back to California. I'm a substitute teacher at the time. And on my lunch break, I tell Maurice, I send him a text and I say, my heart is in Colorado. And it's in that moment, I was like, that ain't the enemy right there. Cause that is something that my wife would never say that has to be from God. So we get this okay because God and your wife, kind of like the same voice, right? Like that's the same person. And, and so. You gotta make sure you listen to you it. Gotta make sure we listen. Yeah. So I'm like, that's definitely, that's we gotta message. go with that. Yeah. And so we, we actually decide, you know what? This is what we're gonna do. This is something we gotta jump into. Yeah, and we think since this is where God is calling us, you know, God has interrupted our plans that it's gonna be smooth sailing. I, that think, is, that, I think that's a key point because we thought because it was from God. Yes it was gonna be good. And mm -hmm. we thought because the interruption, we felt, okay, this is from God, everything's gonna be smooth sailing. Yeah, all the pieces are just gonna add up when we get there and it's gonna be solid. And then what happened? And then we get to Colorado, we do the drive, and I am interrupted with the pain of transition. I am interrupted with hardship. I am interrupted with loss. And it wasn't smooth sailing, even though this is the place that God has led us to be. And the thing that I really relate to about Paul in the scripture is, you know, where it says that he was shipwrecked. And when I think of a ship, I think of a place that is something that is strong, that is secure, that is safe. And we all have a place like that. And for us, our ship was expectation. Mm -hmm. And God did not <laughs> allow our experience to be what we expected it to right. be. We thought it would be easy. And one of the things that um, Maurice touched on that really hits home for me is that it says that Paul made it to the other side in broken pieces, with broken pieces. And I think about my first year, first year and a half mm -hmm. here, and there were a lot of broken pieces for me. The first broken piece is that we came to Colorado because he had a job. He had a job offer. He had an opportunity. And you know, I was raised to be this independent woman. I've worked since I was 16. And I left California having two jobs. And I came here with no job. And I know there's some of you in the room that can relate to 
moving for your spouse, making a sacrifice for your spouse. And it was hard for me because now I'm not contributing anything financially to our marriage. I think that was a key point of a learning experience for me as a husband because internally, Aisha was struggling with, I don't contribute anything. How, where is, you know, she started to kind of think about her worth in the, in the marriage and what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? Is this just a you show? And now she's feeling all these things. I'm coming home full of excitement and I open the door and she's full of tears and we're having these internal battles that are very different and two different interruptions. And that was one of the broken pieces for us. Yep. And then um, a few months later, my grandfather passes away. And, and I had this voice in the back of my head. All right, baby. You got this. I had this voice in the back of my head saying, if you didn't move, you would have more time with him. And the reason that it's really sensitive for me right now is because his birthday is in a few days. And this is someone who, more than grandfather, has been like a second dad to me. So that was another broken piece for me. Yeah. And that was the first time that I've experienced grief losing someone extremely close to me. And that was hard, so that's another broken piece. And then in 2016, if you guys remember, the climate in America was intense. There was a lot of tension. There were a lot of things going on. No way. <laughs> um, and I'll never forget, I went to the post office. It wasn't this one that's like right across from us. And a woman called me the N-word. And I've experienced racism to a certain extent in California, but never to this level. And what am I supposed to do with that? Mm. How do I handle that? There is no one out here, especially at the time, that I can reach out to that can relate to that, that can comfort me in that moment. So I have all these broken pieces that I've racked up. And what do I want to do? I want to go back. I want to go back where I don't have to experience these things. I want to go back where it's easy. I want to go back where it's safe. And the thing about broken pieces is that they hurt to hold on to. They don't feel good to hold on to. And I believe, you know, what, what God wanted for Paul, yes, you're going to Rome, but how you expect it to be is going to be different. You need to let that go. And for us, yes, you're going to Colorado. That's going to be your new home. But what you expect it to be, the, the easiness, the smooth sailing, you have to let that go. Yeah. And in, in that moment, like Maurice was saying, it's not only holding on to God's word, but it's also letting go of your expectation. Yeah. And I don't know what your moment is for you or what your ship is, the thing that you ride on, the thing that you feel comfort and stability from. Ours was expectation. And in the middle of all the things that took place, God let that wreck take place. And I believe the things that we learn from Paul's story in his darkest moments is that we can hold on to the God's word and we gotta let go of expectation. Because maybe Rome is not what you expected it to be. Maybe the way that you're gonna get to your Rome is not what you thought. It's not how you're gonna get there the way that you thought you're gonna get there. Paul got there on broken pieces, but technically he still got there by way of the ship.
and it was the broken pieces of the ship. I don't know what your season is. I don't know the difficult times that you may face, but we all have a chapter 27. My encouragement to you is to lean on God in chapter 23. Maybe your chapter 23 is this morning. Maybe your chapter 23 is hearing God speak to your situation from moments like this in a sermon. And I believe that in our darkest times, in our most suffering times, even when it's silent, God has a lot to say. We can hold on to chapter 23 by way of God's word and also let go of what expectations look like because maybe Rome is not what you thought it was and maybe the way that you're gonna get there is very different. Let me pray for you guys. God, not only do I pray for everyone in this room, I pray for me included, my, me myself as well. As we go into this time of worship and as we leave this place, my heart, God, my, my, my encouragement is that we can stand and know that you have given us a word. You stood next to Paul and said, we are going to Rome. There's so many people in this room that are facing their darkest moments that are leaving the season of their darkest season of their life. I believe in this moment, God, that you comfort them. Speak to their hearts, speak to their situation. You're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And most of all, as we leave, with all that's taking place, I just pray that our soul is able to say, it is well. Amen.